In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Last week we read the parable of the ten bridesmaids awaiting the return of the bridegroom. Five were prepared with lamps lit when the bridegroom arrived. This week Jesus tells the story of a Lord who distributes his goods, leaves on a long journey, and then returns to settle his accounts. What's important in both parables is what happens during the interim. What happens when the bridegroom and Lord are absent? Will their long-awaited return be full of joy or trepidation? These parables are just as relevant today as they were to Jesus' first followers. We also live in the time between Christ's physical ascension to the Father and his return to judge the living and the dead. Our job is the same as the first disciples, to be Christ's physical presence in the world until he returns in glory. As one writer puts it, the Christian's supreme concern is how to embody Christ in this life, how to stand in concretely for the all-compassionate, all-faithful Son of God. Christians are agents of the risen Christ, and he fully expects us to continue his work while he's away. As St. John says, he who says he abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Our parable this morning begins with generosity and trust. In preparation for his long journey, the Lord who is a figure for Christ, gives each of his servants a great sum of money. A single talent equaled 6,000 denarii, which was roughly equivalent to 20 years' wages of the average day laborer. As we read this parable, it's easy to immediately begin comparing the Lord's specific disbursements to each of the servants and fail to notice the generous trust he places in each of them, even the servant who received a single talent. Our compulsive human desire to compare obscures the fact that the Lord is generous to all his servants. Our desire to compare may also cause us to overlook the way the Lord lovingly gauges his servants' individual abilities. He tailors each task to fit their specific strengths. The Lord doesn't treat his servants as if they were created on an assembly line, but gives them the type of work they can realistically accomplish. Their duties are personalized. His distribution of talents is not rooted in favoritism, but arises out of a love for the unique capacities of each servant. The servant who had received two talents could have easily succumbed to the poisonous speculation as to why he didn't receive five talents like the first servant, but he doesn't. 
He doesn't spend a moment comparing his individual assignment to the others. Rather, he dives into the particulars of his own task, in the full knowledge that they all work for the same Lord. Both the first and second servant immediately begin to carry out the Lord's will. They buy into the Lord's project, with the understanding that what's good for the Lord is good for all. The first two servants recognize that the Lord's generous trust requires an immediate response. The Lord is generous, but he's also exacting. He's demanding and requires the servants to take risks in his service. They must grow what they've been given. The third servant responds very differently to the Lord's generosity and trust. He's calculating and becomes lost in the machinations of his own twisted mind. He makes decisions solely on the basis of personal safety. One commentator notices that the third servant operates according to a self-protective logic, bent above all on his own security. Whereas the first two servants embrace the Lord's project, the third makes personal security is only concern. His disordered love of self prevents him from carrying out his duty to the Lord. Fear of the Lord in the case of the third servant does not blossom into wisdom, awe, and wonder, but a warped introspection that leads him to develop a slanderous view of the Lord. After a long time, the passage reads, The Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. The Lord does not expect miraculous growth overnight, but leaves his servants for a long time. He provides them with every opportunity to develop their talents. He desires their success. The Lord's leniency and long journey does not mean he doesn't care about his talents or his servants. He is deeply concerned with how they develop in his absence and returns to settle his accounts. The three servants come forward and stand before the Lord, not as a group, but as individuals. The first two servants greet the Lord with reverence and acknowledge all he has entrusted to them. God's trust is their operating principle. They both begin with the words, Lord, thou gavest me. They acknowledge his lordship and generosity. Though the Lord didn't set clear expectations at his departure, he is overjoyed with what they've accomplished and exclaims, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. I will make thee ruler over many things. The first two servants, although receiving differing amounts at the Lord's departure, receive the same reward at his return. They are invited to enter into the joy of the Lord. The third servant comes before the Lord and immediately reveals his poisonous heart. His first words are not, Lord, thou gavest me, but Lord, I knew. 
I don't think there are two more radically different ways to approach God than with the words, Thou gavest me, and I knew. One acknowledges God as the generous giver and the source of all that is, and the other puts the human ego in the place of God. Let us always approach God with the words, Thou gavest me, and never I knew. The third servant then launches into a monologue which seems to have been fermenting in his mind since the Lord's departure. It seems rehearsed. He accuses the Lord of reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. His accusations, however, don't fit the evidence. There is no evidence that the Lord is anything but generous and trusting. In fact, upon the Lord's return, He does just the opposite of what he's accused of. He gathers the talents where he has sown, the talents he has sown with his servants. He gathers exactly where he does so. The Lord does not descend to the servant's level. He doesn't bicker with him about his own goodness. He responds to the servant by saying that even if he were the type of Lord who reaped where he didn't sow, then the servant should have invested his money in the banks. We get the impression that the paltry interest gained by putting his money in the bank would have been enough to satisfy this gracious Lord. Out of self-interest, the servant chose complete stasis and inactivity. To put it plainly, he buries the gift from his Lord, What was meant to grow and beget further gifts has become a corpse. Our parable teaches us that the Christian life isn't about simply avoiding sin. We must also actively use our talents in the service of God's kingdom. Refusing to do so is met with the Lord's sharp rejection and exclusion from the kingdom. The Lord doesn't leave on his journey merely to test his servants. Their work trains them for what is to come. It's an invitation to grow. The Lord means to elevate them and make them capable of assuming new and greater responsibilities, new and greater joys. Everything the Lord does for his servants is done in the service of joy and their joy. So let us, therefore, in the words of St. John Chrysostom, contribute whatever we have, wealth, diligence, or caregiving, for our neighbor's advantage. For the talents are each person's abilities, whether in the way of protection, or in money, or in teaching, or in whatever you have been given. Let no one say, I have but one talent and can do nothing with it. You are not poorer than the widow. You are not more uninstructed than Peter and John, who were both unlearned and ignorant men. Nevertheless, since they demonstrated zeal and did all things for the common good, they were received into heaven. For nothing is more pleasing to God than to live for the common advantage. For this end God gave us speech and hands and feet 
and the strength of body and mind and understanding, that we might use all these things for our salvation and for our neighbor's advantage. Let us strive today and every day to do all such good works as the Lord has prepared for us to walk in, that on the last day the Lord might greet us with the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.